Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. These are sombre times, Kieran. Uh, no actual football to talk about this weekend, but we have few questions to carry on as usual. And if there is any consolation, at least it puts your lost Graham Potter into some sort of perspective. Um, but we have a couple of news stories, Kieran, before we get into the questions, all of which are very interesting. Um, first of all, this is a big one. It's one you predicted. The Professional Footballers Association charity has been given an official warning by the Charity Commission. Yes, uh, there, there were there were three charges. Um, one was, I think, breach of trust, uh, inappropriate behaviour, and the third one was effectively one on financial mismanagement is probably the best way of putting it. Um, so the uh, the charity was uh, cleared on two of them, but uh, has been uh, reprimanded in effect with regards to financial mismanagement. Um, this this involves a, a payment of £1.9 million, which I think was paid into the uh, account of the trade union instead of the, 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 the charity, which I think is now called the Players' Foundation. Um, my understanding of this is that it's, it's, it's cock-up and incompetence right. rather than anything malevolent. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, I've got to be a little bit careful what I say. Um, I, I, I once wrote a reference for somebody to get a job at the PFA, uh-huh. And uh, they uh, they were there not a particularly long time, and and they did uh, they did identify certain issues, which when when were brought to the attention of people in charge, or mention no names, uh, was just effectively ignored and swept under the carpet. So so the the person I wrote the reference for then decided to leave because I didn't feel that the governance um, of the, the PFA was uh, in a, in a way that you'd want to be associated with. Um, and I don't think there's been necessarily huge improvements um, under the the previous regime. Um, at the same time, uh, I think there has been significant improvements since Mahesh Malongo uh, has become involved. He, he is a lawyer by trade. Uh, he's decided not to be a trustee of the foundation because he thinks it's important that, uh, a bit like Caesar's wife, you, you've not only have you got to be independent, but you've got to be seen to be independent. Um, and, and things are are better. Now, better's not perfect, but uh, it, it, it doesn't doesn't reflect particularly well on previous management. Yeah, so we've, we've joked occasionally in the past, Kieran, about you know, HMRC, best not to get on their wrong side. They will investigate. They, they are nothing compared to the Charity Commission, and that is a good yeah. thing, essentially. The Charity Commission do an incredible and thorough job in keeping an eye on what charities are up to, um, which is right, which is how it should be. And presumably this official warning, Kieran, gives them time to improve their processes uh, even further? Yeah, Yes. And uh, I, I believe I think there's some form of internal review taking place as well uh, with, with the aim of get, getting things right. Yeah, and, and sometimes things aren't. As good as they can be, and that, and you know, we've all worked at places where uh, things are that are imperfect, but you know, the, the people just go on and nod and a wink. 
Um, and uh, I think things have improved there. Um, certainly when, when we had Maheta uh, on the show, I, I was struck by his professionalism and his his desire to uh, have greater transparency there. So I think that's that's better for um, the members um, in terms. I think they can have greater confidence that the you know, a lot of the money comes sort of indirectly from the the Premier League TV deal. Um, and certainly there has been criticism levelled um, historically, uh, especially with regards to dementia in players mm. and the the. the uh, the people involved uh, do seem to be taking that uh, more seriously and, and trying to address and, and accelerate uh, research and uh, support uh, for that. A long time ago, I was involved with a, a charity, a small charity, which I, I won't name because it's no longer exists for reasons that are about to become apparent. But essentially, uh, a letter was sent, which I saw from the charity commission to the head of this charity, which basically said in very official language, uh, we're going to turn around now for a week, and when we turn back, the money's going to be back in the account, isn't it? (laughs) 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 It was said in such a way, it's like, yep, the money's back in the account, and the person handling the charity, funny enough, is out of the country, but there you are. Um, Mm. UEFA have put a few clubs on their naughty step, Kira, which uh, it just makes me laugh, because I'm not sure that an organisation that's always on your naughty step should be allowed to have a naughty step <laughs> of their own. But nevertheless, they have put some people on their, on their naughty step. Why is that? Um, yes, this this is a report uh, from uh, UEFA's first chamber, which uh, which sounds like the type of place that perhaps Geoffrey Archer used to, used to visit. <laughs> um, didn't take long for the BAFTA to go, did it? <laughs> and... Um, What what it's done, it's looked at the financial returns submitted by clubs. um, And it has said, look, we've been through COVID. um, But uh, there's been, I think there's eight or nine clubs that have been fined. So we've got from Italy, Milan, Roma, Juventus and Inter. From France, we've got Monaco, PSG and Marseille. And from Turkey, we've got Besitka. So, so those have been the main ones. There's been some very small breaches elsewhere. Um, but you say, okay, well, is, is this really going to impact upon clubs? Because if we take a look at the position of PSG, which, as we know, is pretty well funded, um, you know, it's just it's just made Kylian Mbappe, what, £140 million yeah. signing on fee to renew his contract. Um, they got a €65 million Euro fine, of which... 85% was suspended. So it's effectively cost them about 8 million quid. Um, now, yeah, 8 million quid to PSG, that, that, that to me doesn't have a much of a deterrent effect. Uh, either does paying the rest of the fine, should it, should it be paid. But uh, I think UEFA has acknowledged that things have been distorted uh, as a result of COVID. I think what is also interesting is that they have that um, they've created what they refer to as a watch list um, of, of quite a few clubs. And what they've said with regards to these clubs is that you, you probably would have breached uh, the financial fair play limits, but you've claimed enough COVID allowances to uh, be able to, to circumvent that. And that's included Chelsea, <laughs> Manchester City, <laughs> Leicester, West Ham and Rangers. Um, so, so and they've said, 
yes, you've used COVID, but you remember you are you are assessed over a rolling three year period, and your your COVID benefits are going to drop out. And when they do, you by then you need to have ensured that your your finances are improved. So, so what are they doing as far as this judge this this watch list is concerned? Well, UEFA's requirements is is effectively they've got to submit more documentation on a more regular basis to ensure that UEFA can see effectively in advance whether or not they're likely to breach the rules. It's a, it's, it's a bit like uh, getting a suspended sentence but having to report to a parole officer. And, uh, you know, Uncle Terry says that it's not perfect. You know, it's not ideal, but it's, it's better than doing time inside. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be Uncle Terry's parole officer. Uncle, the parole officer goes to Uncle Terry, not the other way around. <laughs> um, eight, eight million quid to PSG is the equivalent of me waking up in the morning after a night out and thinking, I'm sure I had a fiver in my wallet. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. Basically, and are we, um, is that going to be your reaction every time Chelsea gets mentioned now? Are they they're your least favourite club now? Um. I'm I'm going to have I'm going to I I genuinely don't know how I'm going to react when Chelsea play Palace, but I, I suspect I'll be going. Come on, you Eagles! It's it's that bad at present, and I've got I've got no issue at all with Graham Potter leaving. From a professional perspective, it's the right thing to do. Um, I just think the timing absolutely st- stinks to high heaven, and they're using the the sacking of Tuchel Tuchel to to uh, act as a smokescreen for the absolutely appalling recruitment they've done under uh, Todd Bowley uh, when he appointed himself as uh, effectively the the, di- the director of recruitment stroke football. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it, it's if, if they'd done it at the end of last season. If they, if they decided they didn't like the coach at the time, that then fine. That would have given Chelsea a chance to bed themselves in over the summer. It had given us a chance to recruit a management over the summer. But as they, as what they've done, they've just screwed us over. Yeah, yeah, but that's football. Yeah, you, you can't you can't blame the man for wanting to be in a proper. No, city. no, not at all. Wanting to go to a proper city with you know, a club with noisy fans and all that sort of stuff. Look, look at the the different types of quinoa he's got access to now as well. Now he's in the city. It's just it's Palace fans. People may not know this, but um, Palace's game at Brighton next weekend had already been postponed because mm. of uh, train strikes going on, and Palace fans were highly delighted about that, given the form that Brighton were in. Um, as soon as Graham Potter left, Palace fans were saying, "Well, we need to unpostpone that game, don't we?" Well, the strikes off. The strikes off. So yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. And Adam, yeah. I believe Adam Lallana's in temporary charge. Is he? <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> it could, could be me. Uh, yeah, for all I know. <laughs> I imagine you haven't got time, Kieran. Imagine the Baroness's face when he said, <laughs> I've, "I've finished my spreadsheets. I've got a couple of podcasts to do, and then I'm off to the Amex <laughs> to manage Brighton for the day." Um, questions. Our first question is a really it's a, inter- it's a really interesting one. And it comes from Victoria Zhong. Uh, I hope I've pronounced your name correctly, Victoria. Uh, Victoria says, I'm a Liverpool supporter from Peru. Um, insert Paddington reference here. And I want to introduce a crazy idea to English football. In Peru, we have something called Copa Peru, which is perhaps similar to the EFL trophy. It's played between our third through to our sixth divisions. What is very cool is that the winner of the Copa Peru gains promotion to the Primera Division which is, that is a big prize. We relegate the lowest two clubs in the Primera Division and promote the winner of Liga 2, apologies again for the pronunciations, along with the Copa Peru champion. 
Almost always, this newly promoted club is relegated straight away. But Bayern Nacional used their sudden entry into the Primera Division in 2017 to quickly obtain more funding and actually won the league in 2019. That would be impossible to see in the Premier League, but financially, could it work? We see lower sides cause problems in one-off cup ties, but could a club jump from League One or two to the Premier League, use the new TV and ad money to buy some new players and survive? So, essentially, this is, uh, this is uh, I don't know, pick any club, but this is Mansfield winning uh, the Papa John's Trophy and being promoted to the Premier League as a prize. Could they, could they as Victoria says, maybe pull off a... A shock, use the money, get a couple of players in, survive. It's a it's a great it's a great question. There's a great incentive to play in that trophy as well in a cup of Peru. I think it's a fantastic idea. And, and you know, from from a from a fan's point of view, you know, you and I we, we like travelling to you know, the chances to go to places like Mansfield and Morecambe and Forest Green are very restricted. So um yeah, I, I think it'd be I think it'd be absolutely amazing. Um won't happen, but uh, no, so, so effectively what, what she's saying, if it's third through six divisions it's league. It's uh, yeah, League One, League Two, and the National League. Yeah. So you could have yeah. Be, yeah, you could have Altrincham in the Premier League for a season. That'd be absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, could they do it and survive? Her question. Well, the simple answer is is yes, they could. Because if we go back to uh, twenty eleven when Blackpool were promoted, um, now. I've got very strong views about the Blackpool owners, but Indeed. this is not the time or place uh, which to, to say them. Um, but uh, what Blackpool did was that they had a very, very low wage cap um, uh, because uh, they the, the owners took out £11 million in wages for themselves and didn't pay the players very much. Um, and Blackpool were within one or two matches of survival. Uh, so if they could do it, which was effectively on a mid-table championship budget, then a club from League One, and let's face it, we've got some big clubs in League One, you know, Ipswich, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, yeah. Charlton, um, Portsmouth, you know, we've, there's, there's some, and there's some decent-sized clubs in League Two as well. And we'd like to see some, yeah, we'd love it for Andy Holt. Yeah, cool. uh, Accrington and oh yeah, we'd be so made up for Andy and so and others and, and our friends at Plymouth and so on. Um, so it, it could be done if you think you know, that, that Huddersfield survived two seasons in in the Premier League when they were promoting. Everybody said they'd go down straight away. I, I don't think they'd last very long, but uh, could they last one additional season? Yes, uh, you know, and finishing seventeenth would be one of the greatest achievements in Premier League history. Should it take place? It, I think I think it's a fantastic idea, uh, and also I, I like Victoria because it's one of my favourite songs by the Fall. <laughs> Very good. Um, imagine Gary Neville's reaction on being told that Accrington ruined the Premier League for a season. <laughs> yeah, it could be Salford. It, oh, oh, that's true. Yeah, imagine uh, yeah. imagine Andy Holt's reaction if it was Salford. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for new listeners, those two people don't get on very well. Um, Daniel Robertson has a question, which we have sort of discussed before, but this is um, a specific question, so I'm happy to uh, ask it again. Also, it's got my name in it, so as I'm as, I'm as vain as a cat, I'm perfectly happy to read any question out that's got my a name in it. vain? Oh, yes, cats are very vain. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, not just... just <laughs> 
<laughs> As, again, a discussion for another pod, Kieran. Um, <laughs> right. Daniel Robertson's question. As a listener to the offensive podcast in which the price of football was featured, and also as a relatively new viewer of a television show that I shall call Ned Losso, <laughs> as, <laughs> as, as I'm aware Kevin has some beef with a show with a similar name, both heavily feature the Premier League Championship, um, other teams and sports personalities and broadcasters. Is there a financial implication involved in using these names and regarding the latter, often including club logos as well? Or as works of fiction, does this bypass any relevant laws? And would an agreement first have to be made before any use can be uh, done? Well, I think we need to separate this into two elements. Um, if in the show, um, the uh, R- Richmond FC, which I think is the team involved, uh, involved with Ted Lasso, if they are using the Premier League logo or if they are nominally playing against Palace or Manchester City and the the shirts of those clubs are being used, I think there could be issues with regards to intellectual property. Um, uh, so, therefore, under those circumstances, I think there would be a, 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 a relatively nominal fee paid by the producers of the show to the to the to the other football club um for for use of their intellectual property and on also use of the premier league logos and so on when it comes to the individuals you know we, and we've seen some of the pundits from from sky and and so on uh appear uh, on on the show um they would just get a you know they just get an appearance fee as per normal as as a guest so um, there would have to be some form of agreement because yeah, there is a there is a, a a protection by the the Premier League of its property in exactly the same way as if you if you listen to a a, you know, a song on the radio then then the Performing Rights Society mm. uh, are entitled to a royalty to collect on behalf of the artist. So so th- there would be costs. I don't think there'd be significant. Certainly, you know, nothing compared to the sums being paid to the uh, the people at the top of that show. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Hugh Roberts, uh, and it's an interesting question, but it does make me wonder exactly how long our backlog of questions <laughs> <laughs> actually is. Because um, Hugh's question is about travel to away games. And Hugh says, I remember that Manchester United and Wrexham played each other in the second round of the 1991 Cup Winners' Cup. And United assumed they could treat it as a normal away game. However, UEFA required they had to stay the night before in Wales as it was their rule that clubs stayed the night before in the country of the opposition. Is that still the case? Because if so, it does have some financial implications, does it? If you're a, a smaller club with less money, you've now got to fork out for hotels the night before and presumably the night of the game. Yes, yes, that's... Um they they don't have to uh, do that anymore uh yeah we we do as 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 you probably realized from the show last thursday uh we do now have a transport correspondent that uh, that <laughs> i pick the brains of um and uh it's it's normally deemed to be common sense to go there the night before because if if you're if you're chartering a flight and it's delayed then you know, the last thing you want is is players. Yeah, we, we've off, we've seen on a few occasions where kickoffs have been delayed because a coach has been stuck in traffic. Well, mm. that that's a risk that you take in respect of uh, aircraft as well. But the, it's it's no obligation 
um, anymore. And and also that, that that does make sense to a degree because we now have competitions run by UEFA where you could have, for example, four, five, and potentially from 2024 onwards, we could have even six Premier League clubs mm. in the Champions League. And it would seem crazy that you must uh, you must go from uh, Manchester, sorry, say from London to Paris, which is a relatively short distance, um, but that's two different countries. You have to go and have an overnight stay there, but you wouldn't have to do that if you were going from London to Liverpool, which is in the same country, but wouldn't require an overnight stay because it was deemed to be the same country. So uh, it's it's no longer a requirement. I, th- I think it I think it perhaps falls into that that classic uh, desirable but not essential feature that you sometimes see on job applications. Yeah, I bet Graham Potter's looking forward to the Champions League, isn't he? More than I am. Finley's in and out like a fiddler's elbow today, isn't he? Is he? Is he? Every time he hears the word Graham Potter, he opens the door and walks out, and he, and he just gives me gives me a soulful stare uh, as as he as he and, and the tail is between the legs. Oh dear. Uh, Alex Walton asks this question. Thank you, Alex. Alex Walton says, with your recent discussion on national league finance. Can you tell me which league has the greater disparity proportionally in finance, the National or Premier League? Uh, right. I, I did take a look at this one, uh, Alex. And, and as you can imagine, I'm, I'm very grateful for this question because it's uh, it, it's taken me out of my post-Potter stupor uh, back into spreadsheet heaven. Um, <laughs> so so I, I, I've looked at the... Um, I've looked at the figures for 2019, which is the the last season, which was not impacted by COVID. And if we take a look at the Premier League, um, the financial disparity on a percentage terms between Manchester City and Huddersfield, um, it was uh, it was over 500 million pounds, but it works out as 426 percent. If we then drop into the National League, there's there's lots of clubs that don't publish figures, but the biggest disparity I could find, and I suspect this will be um, magnified this season and last season when the figures come out, um, was with Wrexham at the top. And remember, this was in the pre-Ryan Reynolds yeah. uh, era. Uh, you know, and like many people, I'm, I'm watching the that documentary series at present, which is you know good 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 popcorn throwaway TV. Uh, apart from the Sean Harvey uh, bigging up element, but that's that's for another podcast. Um, Wrexham compared to Ebbsfleet uh, was three hundred and nine percent. So the the financial gap in the Premier League was bigger in twenty nineteen, but I suspect uh, that will be reversed in twenty two twenty three because Wrexham are in a very strong position to I think potentially have record revenues uh, in the history of the National League this season. They're getting around eleven thousand people for home games. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, um, and also uh, having been on a fans united day at Wrexham uh, way back in the nineties, um, I, I just love their fans. You 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 were treated with so much love and affection because you turned up from another football ground just to say we don't like what your owners are doing. Um, and the Wrexham fans that day were absolutely incredible. So, so they they deserve uh, they they deserve some good times. That's that's three things, by the way. We've already mentioned that's for another podcast. So, guys, <laughs> guys, going to be getting ideas, isn't he? Um, 
<laughs> this episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our next question, Kieran, comes from, <laughs> comes from Wayne Harris. And Wayne Harris is a Brighton fan. Uh, putting aside my astonishment that Brighton actually have a fan with Wayne as a name, <laughs> I, I, I'd have thought Kieran was, I just imagine the posh people in Brighton's ticket office again. We've got a Wayne and a Kieran. What's happening? What's happened to Rodney? Um, <laughs> Wayne Harris says, Kieran, our club Brighton. Have re- <laughs> that- <laughs> told you, told you that's timing. <laughs> well done, Finley. Um, our club Brighton have replaced the plastic glasses in a number of the kiosks. That's the least of your problems when it comes to replacing something. Um, yeah, our club Brighton have replaced the plastic glasses in a number of the kiosks on the concourse with paper cups. Now, I'm assuming this is on the basis that they are more environmentally friendly than the plastic ones previously used. The paper cups have branding from Heineken, one of our existing corporate partners. Would there be a new commercial agreement for this type of change as a new form of advertising? 100,000 paper cups per game is a significant amount of advertising. If so, how much would this be worth? Or is this an extension of the existing deal? Or would it be a deal where Heineken supply the cups at no cost to the club, so making a saving there? It's it, it's an interesting one, right, uh, Kieran, because as Wayne points out, that is a lot of extra advertising for Heineken, isn't it? If everybody's passing around a paper cup with their logo on it. Yes, yes. And, and there's also been sort of, uh, again, you know, for, for people that don't listen to the show every week, we do have quite a long backlog of stories. So there's been further developments on the Brighton paper cup story. Oh. Um, or should that be the paper trail? Um, nice. So um, what's happened is, yes, they did experiment with, paper cups um but they didn't work because if, if you think about it you know the kiosks 
where you're serving up the beer. Well, if somebody's trying to hand you a paper cup, the chances are it starts to spill because the paper isn't sturdy enough, even with waxed paper. Um, so, so what they've now done at Brighton is that they've uh, they, they found an, a new supplier who supplies a plastic cup which can be recycled, which is good. It's, you know, very, it's a very Brighton thing to do. But if it isn't recycled, it's biodegradable and turns into a harmless wax. Um, so, you know, the, from Heineken's point of view, um, they're quite happy to, to contribute towards this because, as you rightly say, they 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 are getting uh, their logo uh, on uh, on everybody that's buying a pint or, or other products of a similar nature. Um, so, I, I don't think it's costing the club uh, a lot more money uh, because Heineken will be making a contribution towards the costs, and it does go uh, as a contribution towards the the environmental and sustainability commitments of the club. Yeah, I imagine as well a lot of your fans uh, complained that Shabley doesn't taste quite right <laughs> in a paper cup, is it? You wouldn't want your half-time Shabley tasting a paper, would you? Um, uh, ben Clark has a question, and this is, a, again, a subject we have talked about before, but I'm always happy to revisit big stories for new listeners, basically. Uh, and Ben Clark says, does sponsorship contribute towards financial fair play? Because if it did, rich owners could set up shell companies and sponsor their teams for a lot of money to increase the club's income. Yes. Um, well, first, first of all, Ben, um, sponsorship income is one of the the three sort of traditional tiers of uh, football club income, which is match day broadcast and, and commercial. Um the the value of uh, sponsorship deals um, has to be calculated in terms of what the Premier League and UEFA now refer to as fair value. So if I if I give you a thousand pounds for a paper cup, for example, UEFA would say you say well that's not worth a thousand pounds. It's it's worth ten pence. So therefore, when it does its FFP calculations, it would. Uh, it, it would go in as 10 pence. So this is to stop um, clubs having relationships with what are known as related parties who have wealth and uh, are prepared to put that wealth into the club through alternate means in order to allow the club to comply with uh, financial fair play. So you know, there were accusations uh, levied at... Um, Manchester City, with regards to their sponsorship from the Etihad, and um, you know that they, the club was fined, I think, in 2013 with regards to that. When Newcastle were acquired by uh, PIF, which is remember less than 12 months ago, um, almost immediately the the Premier League owners went and changed the rules uh, in, in relation to sponsorship income. Um, so, so that is it is being addressed because you know I'm 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 not on either side of the fence here. Um, it, it's been set up simply to ensure that Newcastle are less competitive in the Premier League. Now, whether that's a good or a bad thing depends on whether uh, you know on what side of uh, the, the the fan fence you're on. Um, it, uh, you know, because the 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 established clubs don't want extra competition. Uh, because you know, as we said before, six into four doesn't go in terms of the Champions League. Seven into four doesn't go any easier. Um, so if you if you do want to set up a shell company, 
you can do that. You can certainly the, you can you can certainly bring the cash into the club, but it wouldn't be included in the FFP calculations. Yeah, as as I remember, Kira, I think UEFA devalued PSG's sponsorship deal with Qatar Airlines, didn't they? They said that Qatar were paying too much for that. Yeah, yeah. There's been there's been a few investigations, and I think both PSG and Manchester City uh, were given sanctions in 2013, 2014. Yeah. Um, there's the, the trouble is with these type of things, and, and this is where I've always got a few reservations. It, to a certain extent, it becomes whack a mole. So uh, if it's sponsorship deals of front of shirt from related parties, that's one thing. We then look at the situation that we had at Everton a couple of years ago where the former business associate of the club owner uh, paid £35 million to have naming rights for a stadium for which planning permission had not been granted and because he was not deemed to be a related party, that thirty-five million pounds did count. So, what's going to re- be the result of of these new rules? It's going to mean that our silver-tongued friends, and, and I include my profession in that as well, mm. will simply sit round the table and say, "Okay, these are the rules. Let's go through them with a fine-tooth comb. Let's identify the weaknesses in those rules, and uh, we, we can circumvent them." So, unless there's a change of culture. Uh, within football, all I can see as, as a result of the rules that we have in place is uh, you know, very lucrative fees being charged by accountants and lawyers and their advisors. I, I feel I have to say this, Kieran, because otherwise I will wake up sweating in the middle of the night, <laughs> regretting it. But uh, I believe you had uh, whack a mole in that Mexican bacon sandwich. You had. <laughs> and that's, I can always rely on your childish sense of humour to get me through. <laughs> uh, our next question comes from Utsav Srivastava. Um, Utsav says, as a Real Madrid fan, Real Madrid fan, my pronunciation is terrible today, especially in Spanish and South American Spanish. As a Real Madrid fan, I've seen that we often sell our youth team players with two-year buyback options, Carvajal, Morata, Negredo, Regulon, and many, many more. With FIFA's restrictions on the number of players that can be loaned out by a team, what is to stop clubs from stockpiling players by selling them with a buyback option? They still get the benefit of keeping the player or selling him on for a higher fee if he succeeds at the loan club. Um, I think this this is an issue which uh, UEFA and FIFA are uh, trying to identify. Um it's you know it effectively follows on from from the last question uh if if a rule is introduced by fifa and uefa and and the rules are uh, to 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 stop factory farming of of young men uh in terms of their professional uh, relationships with their employers um they they could certainly sell them with with a, with a buyback option which is so cheap that it's effectively a glorified loan fee mm. um and and that would work fine uh, so I think he's come up. I, I think I think there will be some lawyers, Utsav, who are gnashing their teeth uh, <laughs> at present because you've come up with a really good idea for circumventing the rules. Mm, well done, Utsav. Uh, send your details to Kieran and you can sort it out between you. Um, John McNeil has one of those questions. 
uh, that I like so much because they seem like very simple questions, but they're actually one of those you think, why have we not discussed this before? Um, if a player has been loaned to a club with an obligation to buy, does the player agree personal terms and contract with the loanee club before the loan, or will a contract only be negotiated when the obligation to buy clause has been triggered? So, in other words, if he goes to a club for a year, do they do the actual transfer deal then or at the end of the year? It's a good question. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is. It's a cracker. This one, John. Um, you would you would have to agree terms in advance um, because otherwise, if there is an obligation to transfer the player's registration, um, and and that these are, I think this happened when uh, we we loaned Anthony Knockhart to Fulham, and the deal was if Fulham are promoted to the Premier League, then then Fulham have to buy the player at the end of the season. And Fulham didn't want the player by the end of the season, but they ended up having to buy him, and then, then they didn't play him anymore. Um, so um, the the player and the player's representative would at the at the obligation uh, to to. To buy date, which is effectively when the, when the original contract is signed, they would negotiate um, as part of the overall arrangement for the players' pay uh, and remuneration details to to be uh, agreed between the two parties, and and that makes sense because otherwise the buying club could say, well, we've got your registration now for the next five years, uh, we're going to pay you a tenner a week, like mm. it or lump it. But also, I suppose, Kieran, what I mean, what happens if, say, Palace loan a player, one of our youngsters? Uh, with an obligation to buy, and that player scores 45 goals in that loan. So they're, they're actually buying him for a lot less than they would have done had they tried to buy him a year later. Yes, yeah, and, and that's that, that's uh, the advantage of, of getting that type of arrangement, yeah, where it's an obligation as opposed to an option. Um, so... Uh, yeah, what what would happen under those circumstances is the chances are the club which has uh, been the beneficiary of those forty five goals, they they either offer him a, a really good new contract because otherwise he's going to be unhappy uh, and he's not going to play as well the following season, uh, or or they effectively buy him from Palace at the agreed fee of let's say five million and say well he's just scored forty five goals in the championship we're now going to sell him for twenty on to somebody else. Uh, uh, I'm just checking here that motor scooter that went by your window just then didn't have Finley driving it. <laughs> I just had this image of Finley being so upset by Graham Potter in his, in his little crash helmet, his tongue sticking out like Scooby Doo. <laughs> we in had, the mystery machine. In the mystery machine. <laughs> oh, it was a mystery what went on in that machine, wasn't it? Anyway, we've got two questions left, Kieran, um, mm. and they're both interesting ones. The penultimate one is from Joe Weinstein. Uh, Joe Weinstein says Ashley Fletcher spent the oh Finley it is hitting he's, him hard. He's, isn't he's, it? he's urged you. He's, urged you. He's, he's he's very distressed. <laughs> he is clearly. Shove a wonky chop there. He'll, he'll forget it too. <laughs> Joe Weinstein says Ashley Fletcher spent the second half of last season on loan to my local club, the New York Red Bulls, in the MLS. If there was a fee paid to Watford for the player, would Watford's journal entry have consisted of unearned revenue? As the transfer window in England was closed at the time the loan was agreed. Well, I mean, this is this is this is a counting nerd heaven on a yeah, on bet. a Sunday morning, isn't it? <laughs> Very rock and roll. Um, no, uh, when, when Ashley when Ashley uh, Fletcher. <laughs> Finley's attempt to say debit and credit there. Um, when when the transfer took place, that's when the revenue was earned. It's the, it's the date of the contract. So so uh, Watford, despite the fact that the the UK 
transfer window was closed. Uh, that's an irrelevance. It was a transfer which was made within their accounting year end, and um, therefore it's uh, it, that's 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 Finley talk for comeback, Graham. Um, it, it would it would be treated as actually a sale, and, and they'd recognise the revenue. Okay, uh, Sam Young has our last question, and you mentioned earlier that sponsorship was one of the three main pillars of uh, what was it you said? What was the expression, Kieran? The three. The, the the three main pillars of revenue in a football club. Pillars of revenue, that was it. Uh, well, this is a question from Sam Young about one of the others. And Sam says, my club, Aston Villa, have been under fire recently for what are seen by many fans as expensive ticket prices for some home games. Now, some defenders of the price argue that if we are to be competitive with the top teams, our revenue needs to increase, therefore justifying the higher price. At a time when costs of living are going up, however, I can't help but think it's quite naive of the club to increase ticket prices. Is this fair? What proportion of revenue does ticket sales make up and does that make price rises a necessary evil? Um, right. It, it, in terms of what proportion of revenue does ticket sales make up, in the Premier League, it varies. Um, the, the lowest I've ever seen is 3.8%, which effectively means for uh, for when Huddersfield were last in the Premier League, and, and fair play, by the way, to their owners at the time, they they effectively froze ticket prices, yeah. uh, I think, uh, at, at a pretty low level following promotion to the Premier League. They, they earned £3.80 out of every £100 came from ticket sales. If we, if we contrast that with Scotland, um, uh, Rangers, for example, they earn sixty pounds out of every hundred from oh, ticket sales. So, wow. so it, it really does Huge. vary significantly. Um, ultimately, if you say, "Well, how much is ticket revenue going to be?" It's the number of matches multiplied by the the average attendance multiplied by the average ticket price. Um, so, so how can Aston Villa generate more revenue from? Uh, match day and uh, Villa Villa average eleven percent. My my granddaughter's just arrived, right. so Finley is now in giddy giddy heaven. Is she wearing um, a, is she wearing a grey potter mask? <laughs> <laughs> Hence that response. Yes, carry on, Karen. Um, so so Villa earn around about eleven percent of their revenue from ticket sales, which is below the average in the Premier League. Um, they, 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 they would normally make around about eighteen million pounds a year. Now that compares with Spurs, who are probably going to exceed a hundred, perhaps one hundred and ten. Manchester United are around about one hundred and ten. Arsenal, in a Champions League year, which I know is going back a few years now, would be a hundred million. Liverpool, eighty or ninety. So can you see that there's there's a very significant gap. Yeah. Um, so the the choices that the uh, the big wigs at Villa have is that they can either increase ticket prices to give them more money to allow them to compete from a financial fair play point of view. They could uh, redevelop the ground and have more commercial and hospitality seats available and therefore they could maintain the prices for the regular fans and and you know target the, uh, the hospitality market or they could get into Europe and play more games mm. but but there, there's a sort of there's, there's a chicken and egg situation there they need to generate more money to allow them to get into Europe which will give them the more mo- which will give them more money on so so that becomes a virtuous circle um, so in, in respect to Sam's question is it fair um, 
you know, is is it fair that the owners should put the money into the club? Uh, you know, it, it's. Uh, I, I think it, it's. Yeah, we, we could have a three-hour, very esoteric conversation as, as to as to fairness in in terms of the way that uh, that fans are are being treated. Um, pe- people are short of money at present. Yeah, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a cost cost of living crisis. Um, people are having to make difficult decisions when it comes to heat or eat and discretionary stroke luxury spend on, on things such as football matches are are being curtailed. Yeah. Now, that huge difference, Kira, between Huddersfield and Rangers, does that reflect the huge difference in the broadcasting deal between the two countries? It, it does, but remember Rangers uh, would also have had uh, some benefit from participation in the uh, in UEFA competitions, which which Huddersfield wouldn't have had. But I think it's also indi- you know, indicative if, if you take a look at Scotland, uh, both Rangers and Celtic uh, do have fans who turn up and fill their grounds every week. It's not just for the league games; it's not just for the European games, but they'll do it if it's a if it's if it's a Scottish yeah. Cup home match against Morton. Yeah, and that's no disrespect to Morton, by the way. Um, their, their, their fans are. Uh, are completely committed to the cause. Yeah, good kit, Morton. I like it. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that'd be very kind of you. You can go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We should be back on Thursday. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, uh, as always, folks, thanks very much for your support from the show. Uh, we, we do appreciate it. We appreciate you keep keeping us on our toes. Um, if you want to support us through Patreon, that's that's one way of doing it. If you uh, want to do it another way, uh, if, if you go on to your app uh, from which you download the uh, podcast and uh, if you can give us a review, if you can give us five stars, uh, that would be absolutely great. I, I, I won't. I won't uh, name any celebrities on on this particular show, uh, but uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll be back. I'll be back with my little black book of celebs on Thursday. Very good. Bye bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the